first and moose week 12 reaction i'm Karen taylor with me mark schoenster and these past two weeks mark i have felt good about my picks but and i felt confident that there weren't many kind of toss-up games but both weeks i feel like i haven't done very well and i guess i thought I knew more than I did. And it just seems like there's some weird scenarios happening that I thought by now we would have straightened those things out. Yeah. I was thinking about yesterday. First off, yesterday was the first day that we agreed on every single one of our picks. We didn't defer on anything. And uh, I was thinking as I was watching the games and I started getting deflated because I thought, man, we might as well call first and moose the Mark is wrong about everything podcast because I made a couple statements yesterday uh, very confidently and they turned out to be flat out wrong like, like the Raiders uh the, I I should have gone with the Patriots I had that gut feeling yesterday I didn't go with them um we, we talked about how I said I felt the Colts defense without a couple pieces could handle Derrick Henry still I was flat out wrong about that um there's just several things that happened yesterday that I was completely incorrect on uh, that we were completely incorrect on and it was, it, it, it was a humbling experience once again to that, you know, we, you could watch the game real close, but you'll, you'll never really have it down. But I mean, that's what makes it fun to watch. And uh, I think it's because we're getting into that, the final stretch of the season. It's the end of November into December. This is when, when this is what separates the men from the boys. And I, I think we saw some boys yesterday and I think we saw some men yesterday. And I think that, from here on out, uh, after Thanksgiving, I always say it's playoff picture season. And I've mentioned it a couple of times already on this podcast. It's, and, and there's just a switch, man. There is a switch when Thanksgiving happens that suddenly everything just feels different. They're not just football games every, anymore. Every single game seems important and, uh, for teams at least vying for a playoff spot. But uh, these games seem important. And when you add stress to the football game, when it's not just about playing the game today, but when you start thinking about the playoffs, no matter how hard you try to take it one game at a time, you feel it. And certain teams thrive in that and other teams crumble. And I think that we saw some crumblers yesterday. And I thought there would have been a couple that I think I thought about picking the quote unquote underdog. I think one would have been the Jaguars over the Browns, and then there was a couple others, but I would have picked them wrong, so I'm glad I didn't decide to spice things up because I know I'm already behind on our, <laughs> our picks this year, and I would have, I would have made it worse because I'm like, there's got to be some weird ones, but I decided to play it safe, and I guess that's good in a way. There's no movement on our on our side, but you texted me the other day, Mark, about some some coach fighting tears because John <laughs> – Harbaugh and Mike Vabrell got in a little bit of a uh, vocal altercation, I guess you could call it. Uh, but you you went ahead and and made some tears of who would do well in a fight, and I, I thought that was pretty exciting. I think I, I looked at yours, and I have a couple different uh, ideas, but you, you can go through your list. I, I, really, I really enjoy it. Yeah, well, Mike Vrabel kind of tried to stir something up with the Ravens, uh, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before. And the Monday or Tuesday after that, Pat McAfee had Ian Rappaport on the show. And Ian Rappaport very uh, humorously said he thought John Harbaugh could ha hold his own against Mike Vrabel. 
in which he got raked over the coals by Pat McAfee's group because there's no way on earth John Harbaugh is beating Mike Vrabel in a fist fight. And, and from there, I just be, decided uh, the idea clicked in my head. Well, how would every coach do in a fist fight? So I'd made a little tier list, uh, you know, uh, very popular over the summer. And I've got uh, six tiers here. Um, and I'll go through one by one. I'll go from the bottom up. And I guess I'll list the names in that tier. And I'll give my short reasoning. And then you can kind of react to how you feel about them. So the first tier I've got is the they gonna die tier. So if they get into a fist fight, they're in trouble. And I'll go from sort of like worst to best in each of these tiers. And so at the very bottom is uh, Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Just look at his face. He, he's, got, he's got a punchable face. I, 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 there's no fear that comes from me when I look at his face. I, I think that he's probably a nice guy, but I, I'm sorry, Bengals. I don't think, I, I don't think your HC could uh, keep up in a fight and would get pretty beat up, especially when we're talking about football coaches. Like, they all got to have a little bit of toughness to them in order to be a head football coach and be a leader of, the, of these giant freak athletic men that they're coaching. But out of all of them, Zach Taylor just doesn't look the part. After that is Adam Gase. Adam Gase seems like a pretty weak guy. I, th I think you, you could look at all the videos of him. He just seems really sporadic and not treacherous at all. I have Sean Payton down here, mainly because I kind of view Sean Payton as kind of petty. He's also a little old. I, I just feel like he, at this point in time in his life, he cannot hold his own in a fight. He's... He very much tries to outsmart everybody, but when it comes to, to fisticuffs, I think he's going to get uh, get rocked. I think uh, that's where I end up, actually. That was the one I thought maybe I could I could rise a tier or two because Sean Payton, he is petty, and I think he's old and probably <laughs> couldn't hold his own, but he seems like he'd be willing to cheat and, <laughs> and just, like, stuff with, like, uh, Bounty Gate and, and the Saints. I just feel like he's – He's a jerk. He comes up as a jerk. Oh, he, to me. I think he's a jerk. Yeah. And I think you'd be willing to do things other people wouldn't. And that's why I think I would actually raise him a tier or two. But I understand him being down there. He's old. And I think he would, <laughs> he would get his, he would get beat up pretty easily. But I think he'd be willing to, you know, throw a chair at some, he, he's just out there. Yeah. Guy for me. I've got a, I got some other coaches that I argue like that for uh, later on this list. Um, and I, I feel free to interject whenever I think that that's fine. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, I know he played quarterback in the NFL, but he just strikes me as like a pretty boy. You know, I feel like he hasn't been in too many fights in his life. And he'd probably get those sunglasses he always wears punched into his face. And then he, he'd be down for the count. Um, and then uh, Doug Marone. I don't know what it is about him, but uh, he just does not – he doesn't strike any sort of fear into me whatsoever. And he's a little bit older. He, he just he, – he, I like his personality, Doug Marone but he's not really coaching a great football team. He, I, I've never seen him as really a, a real leader. And so I don't think he could really put it, hold up his own in a fight at all. So that's the, they going to die tier. Any other comments on those, Connor? Cliff Kingsbury, I do think would be down there. I think he's probably young and athletic, but he does have a punchable face. And yeah. Then... I feel like he's, he just, you could be young and athletic, but like, I just feel like he just doesn't have the fight in him. No, I, I don't think he would fight. I, I don't see it. I think he would stir up something and leave would be my kind of uh, idea about him and a bar. Yeah. Um, the next tier I've got the pushovers. Um, so I'm going to have to edit uh, this one because it's not the head coach of the Lions anymore, but I have him on here, uh, Darren Bevel. I look at him, 
He doesn't seem like he's really uh, – he might even be in the they going to die tier. He doesn't really look that tough. He, he's got to coach a Lions team. Um, I, I don't have any reasons to put him in the they going to die because I don't really know him that well. So I decided to just put him in the pushover tier and move on. Uh, Frank Reich, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, very nice dude, older in age. And he, he's kind of cringy at times, if we're going to be honest, with some of the things he says. He's very positive about everything. So I – he even left the NFL to be a preacher for a couple years. So I don't think he's – he's not a fighter at all. Um, but I couldn't bear to put him in the they're going to die category because I still think he's, he's got energy. I, I just don't think he's a fighter at all. Um, next is Pete Carroll, someone who I think would have been a fighter early on in his life. But he's older now, so I have him down here in the pushover. Early on in his life, I think he would have been fine and would have been able to hold his own. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, uh, I have the three, like, I guess there's like four pretty boy coaches in the NFL. And I feel like Kyle Shanahan's uh, just a slight upgrade from Cliff Kingsbury. They're all the, they're all the pretty boy genius, quote unquote, head coaches, the ones who, who are innovating the NFL at a young age. Uh, I think that Shanahan's a little better than Kingsbury. He's got a little more edge to him, but still kind of a pushover. John Harbaugh. Kind of a whiner, if we're going to be honest. John Harbaugh complains a lot. He does lead a good football team that's always gritty, so he's not a they going to die. But, I mean, if he's going to go up against Mike Vrabel, like, I mean, you're in trouble. Uh, Doug Peterson, he's a bigger, bulkier guy, but he also kind of has a, a, a bleh personality. He doesn't really give me that, like, fighter grit that, that someone would have. And then Kevin Stefanski, he, he's kind of just, you know, there. Uh, he, he doesn't really push – he doesn't really – Screamed to me that someone who's really willing to get into a fight, but he's also not, you know, he's younger and I feel like he's really, he's very steady, which is definitely what the Browns need, but definitely not what you need if you're going to get into a fist fight. So that's the pushover category. Uh, any, uh, any changes you'd have, Connor? I, I think Pete Carroll's right, but I really agree with your point. If he was younger, I think I would move him up a couple tiers or maybe just mm-hmm. one tier. It's just he's too old in age, but I think he, he would be willing to talk uh, some smack talk. And then John Harbaugh, the only reason I think I'm willing just to move him up one tier is because the the arrogance of willing to talk back to Mike Vrabel, which – I guess he had to have those guts. Which I guess – yeah, it's there. I don't think it would be smart, but I think he's, he's a competitor. He, he is whiny, but I, I'm sure he has practice fighting his uh, other brother, Harbaugh, growing up. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe he has some practice in, in a little bit of fighting and some grittiness in him. So I don't think he'd be a complete pushover, but I, I think he isn't. He wouldn't be at like the top of the next tier by any means. Yeah. So the next two you're referring to, I've, I've called them the scrappers. So these are guys that I think really aren't going to be great fighters in general, but they have a certain part of their personality that I like that I think just really – it gives them that fighting edge over the guys in the tier below. And the first one's Bill Belichick, who is older in age, but much like you were talking about with Sean Payton, Bill Belichick is going to fight dirty. Bill Belichick is going to go right where it hurts, and he's going to know exactly how to fight you. So I have him in this tier, but he is getting older, and I think he's going to continue to slide down this list as he ages. Uh, after that is Romeo Cornell whom older guy but he's a big guy so I think he, he he's not gonna he's not gonna go down easily but I don't think he's much of a fighter though um Andy Reid kind of the same thing as Romeo Cornell but I think Andy Reid just personality wise just has a little bit up on Romeo Cornell I mean I mean if you if you bait Andy Reid with a cheeseburger then I think he's gonna like level up and, and fight to a next level um 
Vic Fangio, I could really see him being higher, but his personality kind of is shaky to me. I feel like he, he tries to act a tough guy, but I feel like he always shows cracks in that and being that, you know, tough, defensive-minded head coach. So that's where I have him here. After that is Matt LaFleur. Yeah, your boy. He, he's one of the other four pretty boy head coaches. And uh, I just like his personality. He's got some moxie to him. And so I think he's just got a little uh, an edge over – he's like if, if Kyle Shanahan's got a little more edge than Cliff Kingsbury, I think Matt LaFleur's got more edge than Kyle Shanahan. And, you know, he takes some things in stride. And I had a lot of respect for him when they talked about – Last week, uh, after they lost to the Colts, a reporter asked him if he could live with MVS, which I thought was a terrible question. And Matt LaFleur handled it like a champ and, and kind of ended that reporter's career with his response. Like, it was pretty great. Uh, so I have Matt LaFleur right here, really like dead center, pretty much, in, in the coaching fighting tiers. Bruce Arians is after him. Bruce Arians is a foul-mouthed man. He, uh, he's angry. He's, he, he's wild. But he is old. And so that's why I don't have him higher, but he's got fighter in him. And so I have Bruce Darians right here. After that is Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy feels like the kind of guy that you wouldn't want to like tick off because he's just kind of has a resting grumpy face. And if, if you got him mad, he, he coaches the bears defense. He coaches the bears. He's got to have some, he's got to have some grit to him. So that's why I have him here. And then at the very edge, the top of the scrappers list is Sean McVay, whom is the last of the pretty boys. And, uh, I just think that, you know, you listen to him talk. I just feel like he's wanted to get in a fight or two in his life just because, and he's kind of learned how to fight. And so he'll, he'll talk about those times when, you know, he got back in fights in high school and, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Excuse me for my uh, terrible Sean McVay impression. But I, I just think Sean McVay, he's off that list. He's young. He's athletic. He's a cool cat. And I think he's punched a person or two. I think, Bruce Arians has punched a person or two as well. So oh, yeah. I think, I oh, think I'm, I, has. I, I'm willing to place him at the top of the scrappers. I don't think I'm willing to go into your next tier, but I think I might put him over Sean McVay. And I think <laughs> that that pretty boy group is interesting because I was trying to think where I'd put Matt LaFleur, but I think you're right. I think he's kind of in the middle. He's young and athletic, but I'm not sure. Like, I think he's got grit in him. He's willing to fight, but I think also he kind of knows his place. So I don't think he's going to. Mm-hmm punch up very much in, yeah in a fight. definitely I agree I agree uh, the next tier is the fighters tier so uh, I would say this is the semi best tier but you'll understand why it's the third tier in a minute here but this includes um Raheem Raheem Morris the interim coach of the Falcons big dude seems to be a pretty cool guy he's turned the Falcons around and has them winning a lot of games um I don't know too much about him, but you just look at him and I think this guy can fight. This guy can fight. Um, Matt Rule. Uh, Matt Rule kind of doesn't look as strong, but just I, I love what he does. He goes into an organization that's having a mess and he goes, all right, I'm going to straighten this out. We're going to turn the ship and we're going to go and we're going to go in that direction. And he has turned that Panthers defense back into a kind of mean team uh, right off from the get-go with this, the guys he drafted this year and the guys that were left here for him. So I just feel like he's, he's got to be a pretty tough guy. He, he, he's in a good ripe age right now where he could really fight, I think. Um, after him is uh, Joe Judge. Just look at him. He's a big dude. Uh, and he's also a little weird, uh, as we've discussed on the podcast before. And you never know what you're going to get when you fight someone who's a little weird, you know. He might do, do something a little crazy on you, you know. Uh, and so I wouldn't want to fight Joe Judge because of his size and his unpredictability. Uh, after Joe Judge is Mike Zimmer, whom, although is older, 
and has had some health problems, you can't flim-flam to Zimzam, as my uh, Vikings fan brother would say. And uh, he's, a, he's a tough, mean guy. He's a gritty guy, and you don't want to get into a fight with Zimmer because Zimmer is going to – he's going to bruise you up, <laughs> no matter how old he is. Uh, Anthony Lynn is after that. Anthony Lynn's a quiet guy. He's pretty cool-natured, but he's still a big dude, and he's still someone that kind of like Matt Nagy, I wouldn't want to get on his bad side. I wouldn't want to make him mad because I think that Anthony Lynn could really throw a heavy punch if he wanted to. So that's why I've got Anthony Lynn there. Mike McCarthy is someone I wouldn't have put in the fighter category until I found out about the whole Mellon incident that he had uh, before the Vikings game when he decided that he wanted to smash Mellons with a hammer in order to get his team uh, fired up for the Vikings, which kind of uh, put him in that same kind of category as Joe Judge. We're like, I don't know if I want to fight this guy. He might be a little crazy. And <laughs> apparently Aaron Rodgers even thought, you know, Mike McCarthy could get a little, a little loose at times. So I, I have him up here because he's another unpredictable dude who apparently just have random explosions of, of craze which then leads to John Gruden, who's kind of just like that on a consistent basis. He's just a Gruden grinder, man. And uh, I think that he'd be great in a fight. And then to top off the fighters list is Sean McDermott. I mean, look at him. That's a tough dude. He's just solid A, tough guy, would, would beat up most of the NFL coaches in a fight. He coaches the Bills. He lives in Buffalo. Like, this guy's got some grit. And that's my fighter tier. I think Mike McCarthy, I'm not sure on. I think... I do agree with you. He seems like there's a possibility that has some weirdness in him. And there's, I feel like more stories that possibly might come out after that watermelon story of old things happening with him. And I guess the, that one, I believe it was the last year when he was coaching the Packers where he kind of like chased down a ref. That was pretty hilarious. <laughs> and Mike Zimmer, I, I would, I would be pretty scared of not going to lie. I think if I saw him coming at me, I, I would be frightened. And then Matt rule, I'm not sure he would fight. I, th- I guess I feel like he would break up a fight, but I think he would be a good fighter. He just doesn't seem like he would get in a fight to me. So Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's in the right tier because I think he'd be good at fighting, but I just think he seems like the guy that would come in there and break it up. I don't think he would, mm-hmm. he would really be the one uh, to egg on the situation. Yeah, I agree. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm shifting Mike McCarthy past Lynn and Zimmer and putting Zimmer in front of him because Zimmer's done some crazy stuff as a coach. Uh, himself <laughs> some crazy stunts but that moves into the bruiser category which is i would say the best except for one exception but first off mike tomlin obviously young guy players coach always angry always has great post game uh, press conferences with his with his personality uh, i think he's just he i imagine he's gone to fight with his own two players like his players have probably gone <laughs> yeah. out of hand of the fight and he's probably full on just like gotten into a fight with them and and come out the victor so i had mike tomlin up here uh ron rivera i mean look at that man i mean he 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 beat cancer he looks at you in the eye and i'm sure you just get scared like he's the kind of guy that you're more scared of him looking at you with a disappointed look on his face than him actually yelling at you like you do something wrong and you look at rivera and rivera just gives you that look and you're just like oh no and I just can't imagine what that guy could do when he starts throwing some punches. Like he's been, he's right to some ships and he's just a big tough guy. And then to top off the bruisers list is Brian Flores. I mean, look at him. That dude is a menace. He is built and he is much like Mike Tomlin in the fact that he seems to be a player's coach. He's young. He's got, the, he's tough. I think this guy uh, is 
ready to go toe-to-toe with just about anybody in the NFL. And then I have a separate separate tier, the very top tier, which I call the Big Mike tier, which is Mike Vrabel, because, I mean, <laughs> look at that guy. This man was literally a linebacker. This man tried to start a fight with another head coach just a week ago. And this man said last season that he would cut off some pretty valuable organs on his yeah. body in order to make it to a Super Bowl. Like, this dude's not only <laughs> big and tough, he's crazy, too. I would not want to get into a fight with Mike Vrabel. That guy would – that guy would – destroy my face and would probably do heavy damage to just about anybody on this tier list except for maybe the bruiser category that I just uh, went through I do think he's big Mike is is the top of the list <laughs> easily uh, that that quote we had is uh, nuts. <laughs> I don't know that there's any other coach that would go on record to say that I, I hope not that's just <laughs> such a weird thing to to say but uh. And then the your bruisers category, which is basically, I, I feel like it's maybe kind of like a 1A, 1B. Maybe you could argue. They're mm-hmm. like basically one, but then we've just got this one anomaly in Mike Rabel. But mm-hmm. Mike Tomlin, Ron Rivera, Brian Flores, I feel like you could switch them however you want it. I'd be fine with what, whatever order someone argued. But I do think they're a step above tier three pretty easily, in all honesty. So I, I like your your top four, your final four in a fight. Yeah, I, I, and Brian Flores, I, I think the reason I put him at the top of that list is he is one of the younger guys there. I actually don't know if he's older or younger than Mike Tomlin because Mike Tomlin was really young when he started as the head coach of the Steelers. Um, but just what he's been doing in Miami has my respect. And it's just he's just got, he's just got a, an intimidating face. Like he's just got uh, the picture they use for him in this tier list is like him wearing like this – menacing scowl and i'm just thinking oh man i i would not want to get between him and his players you know i feel like he's the kind of guy who he would go to fists for for any of the guys on his roster and i think that it's resulted in the dolphins doing really well because i feel like they all love him and i love brian flores and if they can make it to the playoffs again like i said a couple weeks ago flores for coach of the year this guy's done some wonders there and is one of the few anomalies of the very barren Bill Belichick coaching tree that has been wildly unsuccessful uh, since its inception. And I, I'm not sure looking at those coaches, I know there there's that bottom list, but I'm not sure how confident I would be in, in taking anyone. So even though there's coaches at the bottom, I feel like they're at the top of most average just say 40 year olds in life Mm. to be able to take people because they are nfl head coaches so even if you're at the bottom i want to feel bad but uh you're just not on the on the top tier level but we can we can jump into two games and the first one i wanted to talk about was that qb less game the the saints broncos (laughs) game and i wanted to hear your takeaways from it and then i thought we could discuss some outside things about the nfl and uh why this game was played without a uh position group basically <laughs> yeah well there there are two so uh, typically we when we have our game we in, we do analysis for we have like a deep dive we kind of talk about position groups and stuff but i'm really not going to deep dive into this game i just want to talk about these two major t- takeaways i came away with from this game the first one um and the less important one we'll talk about the second one a little more but and this should be a no duh but i, I should point this out there's a difference between being purposefully unorthodox and having your hand forced on you. And that's yeah. kind of what we saw yesterday. 
Taysom Hill is on purpose. Sean Payton made the decision to not go with the more traditional quarterback in Jameis Winston and instead go with the wild card in Taysom Hill. A lot of designed runs, a lot of play actions, a lot of read options. And Taysom Hill really didn't have a great game. He, he was much poorer than he was against the Falcons. But the Broncos defense in mile high, it's a tough place to play. So I can't blame them. But, uh, and then you've got the other side of the coin, which is the Broncos, whom didn't even have 24 hours to, to game plan for how they were going to run their quarterback. And that's just, that's a loss. You're going to lose. There's no way on earth that you're going to make this work. This guy hadn't thrown a football in weeks, hadn't been tackled in weeks, and he was expected to come in and make some plays in the pocket. That's insanely hard. I, I, I'm looking at all these critics on Twitter and talking about his stat line. Anybody who made that comment on Twitter, I doubt most of you even could have been the starting quarterback on your high school football team when you're in high school. And that is insurmountably easier than getting thrown into an NFL football game. Like, like we talk about the statistics about how hard it is to go and be a college athlete and how it's even more astronomically unlikely for a college athlete to go on and be an NFL player. Now think about quarterbacking. There's a reason in the past five years, there's only been like 20 guys in the entire world who have been able to sustain a starting job in the NFL as a quarterback because it's hard, because it's, it's ruthless. And so to throw a guy who hasn't been playing quarterback in years into that position is just an unfair advantage, unfair disadvantage. And no one wants to be put in that situation. Not even a guy who's been playing quarterbacks. People are talking about Colin Kaepernick. If in theory, you could pick up Colin Kaepernick just off waiver Saturday night and throw him in Sunday, Colin Kaepernick wouldn't do it because it would not be fair. It would not, it would set him up for failure because he doesn't know the players. He doesn't know the playbook. He hasn't been throwing. He hasn't been like, he hasn't been practicing with the team. He has literally nothing, a blank slate, nothing to go off of. That's just teeing him up to have a disastrous gay day like Kendall Hinton had. No one would have fared. So props to Kendall Hinton for stepping up and, and doing that and completing a pass. Uh, I'm the I'm proud owner of Noah Fant in two leagues, and he got me uh, like two points because he was <laughs> the sole receiver in the game yesterday. But th- that but that's the difference between planned unorthodox play and being forced your hand. Uh, the second thing, and that's this: we should have all expected this. We all joked and laughed. It said we were going to be excited about this game, but this was a waste of a football game. It was an absolute waste. Uh, the, the Saints knew they were going to win from, start, from, from the start. The Broncos did what they could, but they produced little to no yards on offense. Like, I think they just barely broke 100 yards total. And it, it was just because you, you didn't have a quarterback. You didn't have anybody there. And so I, I know the NFL wants to keep their schedule, and I know that they don't want to postpone games due to strategic deficiencies to COVID because that was their reasoning that they the difference between the Ravens and the Broncos is that the Baltimore Ravens at this point have an outbreak and they're they're trying to control it meanwhile the Broncos are have just lost a position group and so you just they, they let them play but that was not a good product that's not a good look on the NFL that's not a good look on the Broncos it wasn't even a good look on the Saints the Saints looked like they just didn't really care about the game Taysom Hill did not have a good day. 
And the Broncos defense held their own in the first half. But at some point in time, when you're just on the field after three and out, after three and out from your offense, you're going to cave in. And so I just, I don't know, man. It, it, it was not a good football game. It, it wasn't even really a football game. It, it didn't make, it, there was nothing to benefit from it. And I know that we all joked about it prior. And this is what we should have expected, that nothing was going to happen. It was just going to be bad, bad, bad. And it, it was just a disaster. Um, but I, I would like to shout out the stat that Taysom Hill and Kendall Hinton combined did not reach over 100 passing yards. So that's pretty amusing. Um, <laughs> also, for some reason, they decided they only threw Hinton in on third downs. So I, I would like to criticize the Broncos for not letting him, like, play all three downs and instead they ran like the wildcat with Royce Freeman, Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay on the first two downs. But whenever it was like third and 10, they throw Hinton in, which is just a really bad situation to put someone who already isn't a quarterback into where they're forced to throw it and throw it down the field. Like let him hand the ball off a couple of times. Let him, let him run a play action. Let him throw a four yard pass. Like let him get into rhythm. The 13 yard pass he had was literally just a dump off route to Noah Fant. And then Fant took it from there and, got 13 yards so I don't know overall waste of a football game it was I I, I don't want to throw this around because I don't want to lose its power but this is the perfect time to say it it was stupid it was just a stupid football game with no point the, the, the Saints got their eighth straight win good for them they probably would have won that game with Drew Lock in but it was just stupid and pointless and the result was decided before it even began and we all knew that but it 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 wasn't even fun to watch it was just bad I have some thoughts on your your two takeaways I think your uh, first takeaway about you know people kind of I guess you know throwing shade like how bad it was for Hinton and but I, I hope this is something that you can point to how difficult it is to come into the NFL and, and play at quarterback when you have those people that they see a pass and they say oh I could throw a better pass than that yeah. and accuracy is extremely difficult I mean I could probably probably be accurate 10 to 20 yards but that's without timing mm -hmm. you have to be your accuracy has to be where it's supposed to be and it has to be there like at the exact time it has to, and it's like mm -hmm like milliseconds in the NFL, which is something I wouldn't be able to do. I might be able to throw it in the right position sometimes, but I definitely wouldn't be able to get the timing right, which I feel like people don't think about in the, and that there's a defender there and that it's got a, there's, there's so many things. I feel like this is a perfect thing to point to. Hey, actually you probably can't just walk into an NFL game and complete a couple passes. It's harder than you think. Yeah. Yeah. And also on top of that, think about how hard it is to be accurate when you're throwing the ball as hard as you can when you're trying to throw it as fast as you can. That's how the quarterbacks have to throw it every single play because if that ball isn't fast enough, a defender is going to jump on it and is going to catch it because these guys are crazy athletic. Uh, like when you're throwing in the ball with the backyard with your dad and you're throwing it back and forth and you're hitting it in his hands every time, think about how light the throw is. If you're actually trying to zip it to him at top speed, you're going to whiff a lot of those times. And that's even without the timing of the receiver, which is what you're talking about. It is hard to throw an NFL ball. And again, there's a reason only like 20 guys have been a starter for five years in a row now. And on, on your second takeaway about just it being a, a dumb game. And we, we learned, we talked about on First Moose Live, what does the NFL value? And obviously it values completing the season within 17 weeks. 
I believe. I think this game shows it as well. I didn't really think about it before. I thought, you know, whatever, like it'll be kind of a fun game and then show that it's not really a fun game when you have a whole position group out. And I think it's very yeah, weird. Especially that, quarterback. <laughs> yeah. But it's very weird they don't have protocol for that, like a, a postponement on a game without a position group. Because I, I know, I believe college football has a protocol on that. If there's a certain amount of position group out, they uh, postpone the game or whatever the protocol is. But the NFL is just a percentage of the roster, which doesn't make much sense to me because if you have, say, the entire offensive line out and it doesn't breach the percentage, are they playing that game? Like, I don't know what the NFL is thinking in these scenarios. I mean, without QBs, they thought, hey, let's let them play. They didn't care. So I just thought, you know, maybe they'll change it. I know it's a one-off year, so I hopefully we don't have to have protocols like this next year. But – I just thought that there should have been maybe some more thought into this type of protocol. But. Yeah. And I think like you said, it shows that they value their timeline because what the NFL values when it comes to their COVID protocols is not fairness. It values safety. It values not having an outbreak because the Ravens are getting a leg off because their players are all going to recover from COVID and most likely all of them will return by the time that their game is ready to play for the most part. Um, and I think that it, it's kind of unfair that the Ravens had a full-on outbreak and aren't going to suffer as much from it as the Broncos did, that a single position group had had a little bit of a, a spread. It was even the, the, the Broncos reported it themselves. So uh, it, they were trying to be fair about it, and they're getting the short end of the stick, which just goes to show they're not trying to be fair. They're just trying to make sure outbreaks don't get out, and that's where they're stopping it. So – I mean, I guess that's their prerogative and that's their decision. And we know that now, but it does definitely suck for the Broncos. Well, we can take a quick break and we'll be back with uh, some more normal games. <laughs> have you ever wondered why everyone and their mother seems like they have a podcast today? Well, it's probably because there's over a million podcasts a day alone and it continues to grow every single day. And you've probably wondered, how do I start a podcast? And you've probably thought, it's too expensive. I don't have the equipment. It'll be too difficult. I just can't do it. Well, let me tell you, you're wrong. There's a platform called Anchor, and it's the simplest way to make a podcast. And I did some light background research for you. First off, it's free. There's creations tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started. And we are back. The next game I want to talk about, Mark, was Raiders-Falcons. And, man, oh, man, this has to be bad as a Raiders fan. I mean, you're thinking playoffs right now, but now I believe they're sitting in the nice spot in the AFC, and that is not a position you want to be in whatsoever. No, absolutely not. I mean – this was probably the big, biggest glaring example of Mark being flat out wrong yesterday. We, we acknowledged the Falcons could be a team that could upset, but I said, and I quote, 
the Raiders are not a mistake-prone team. Their floor is really high. And they proceeded to fall through their floor and land in a basement, breaking every bone in their body. Like, it was terrible. Like, they looked awful. They had turnovers. Derek Carr fumbled. He threw picks. He got me negative two points in one of my fantasy leagues. Like, it was awful. They played terrible. And I – that's that was brutal for them because that's a game that they needed to win we talked about you have to win these games and they're they've put themselves in a bad spot because Miami won the Browns won the Colts lost and really that's the big really the Colts losing to the Titans is better for the Raiders because the Raiders get to play the Colts so that was really the only stroke of luck they had all day and then the the Ravens may lose tomorrow which would also be lucky for them but, man, being in the nine seed in the playoffs race is not good because that means you got to step up your game and, and win out. But I don't think I'm confident in them making it to the playoffs anymore. I know this is pretty extreme with how big I've been on the Raiders all season, but this is a game you needed to put away, especially after the quote-unquote moral victory of barely losing to the Chiefs. You had to come. You had to come out here and prove that there was a reason that that you could call it a moral victory, and instead you fell flat on your face. Uh, this is one of those teams that I think got proven to be a boy as opposed to a man in the NFL and the AFC race. They didn't show that sort of that that tenacity that you need in December to get to the playoffs, and I I don't trust them to make it anymore. I agree. I'm not sure. I, I believe they, they can find a playoff spot in all honesty. And I think they're, they're a good team, but if you have weeks like this, you're not a playoff team. And I think yeah. maybe next year they'll make that step, but shockingly, I thought they would be in there. I agreed with you, Mark. I thought their, their floor is very high and I thought they win games that they should win. Then yesterday they just didn't, but something I wanted to say about the Falcons, I mean, they're four and two over the last six games, three and one over the last four games. And I know we could always play woulda, coulda, shoulda with any NFL team. But this team could be seven and four. They could have beat the Cowboys. They could have beat mm-hmm. the Bears. They mm-hmm. could have beat the Lions. And that yeah. would flip their four and seven record to seven and four. And they would yeah. be in the playoffs right now. And I think that it's a, Obviously, this happens every year. There's a woulda, coulda, shoulda team. And it's, I mean, you could talk about with the Packers that they could have had less turnovers against the Colts and then they would be the number one seed right now. I mean, it's it's everywhere. I, I don't always enjoy when teams do that because every team loses close games every single year. Right. But I think looking towards next year, this is going to be a team where a lot of people pick to make the playoffs because they're a team that lost close games that they shouldn't have lost so I'm expecting a lot of talk and hype because they have a overall okay roster. And I know some people thought maybe they could blow it up, but I don't think they're there yet. And I think they'll look at this season and see how they ended it. And they'll think, hey, maybe this team can can make the playoffs. I think they'll be right. But I think there'll be another hype around the Falcons next year, which we could be wrong again. But I'm expecting <laughs> hype around the Falcons next year. And it feels like we're in this every year. But just it's the way – the Falcons formula, man. Start off terrible <laughs> and then finish the season great and get ready for next season only to start off terrible again. It's It's been the circle of life since the the, blow, the, the blown lead in the Super Bowl. But the only the only problem with that is that they could end the season bad because they got Chiefs, Saints, Chargers, and the Bucks <laughs> twice. 
So mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking that would be pretty difficult to, to end with a uh, winning record in those uh, their five last games. But I think we're, we're, we should expect hype, and I'll probably convince myself to hype up the Falcons next year. Yeah. Another game, though, that uh, was different than I think a lot of people expected was Titans-Colts. The Colts gave up more points in the first half than they have gave up in any of their games this year. Yeah. How much value should we put into this game, Mark? Is it just a weird one-off, or, or should we really value this game? Um, as a Colts fan, I'm trying to view it as a one-off. Um, there are some bad things to take away from this game. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the Colts need to be healthy to be good. And because they lost uh, Anthony Costanzo during the game, hopefully that injury isn't bad. And the Colts offense just stopped functioning after Costanzo was out. Uh, no one in the Colts fandom really likes LaRaven Clark. And he's the guy who came in to replace him. He got blown up the entire game. Um, outside of that, um, I think we learned who the best defensive player uh, on the Colts is. I don't think it's Darius Leonard. I think DeForest Buckner changes the way that defense is run. But mm-hmm. I also don't want to, to underestimate Danico Autry being out either because a lot of people overlook his impact, and he's also a big playmaker on that defensive line. And those are two guys who can really uh, cause disruption and not allow those wide-open running lanes that Derrick Henry had. Derrick Henry didn't bulldoze player after player the entire day Derrick Henry ran free and he picked up steam and was able to then break tackles after picking up steam because he was in the second level already which is what he does the reason the Colts were able to contain him in the previous game was because the line kept busting and DeForest Buckner and Nick Autry maybe they didn't make the tackles, but they open the lanes up for the linebackers to make the plays and, and be the ones with the speed going into a tackle as opposed to the other way around. And so that's huge. Uh, on top of that, though, Bobby Okariki was out. A couple other players were out. I have a sneaking suspicion that this isn't the last time the Colts and Titans play because the Tol- Colts blew out the Titans the first time. The Titans blew out the Colts the second time. I really don't feel like we've gotten a true proper game between the two of them. And I just got the gut feeling that they're going to meet in the playoffs. Either one will be the division champion and the other one will just match up with them and they will, they'll play each other and then we'll get the real decider who the better football team is. And I don't think it matters who's home in that regard, because obviously the away team has won both the games in the series thus far, but it was definitely unexpected, but I guess I learned something about our defense and about how important Bobby Okariki and Danico Autry and DeForest Buckner are. So, I mean, it was a brutal game to watch, to say the least. I would love to see the Colts-Titans play again, especially in the playoffs. And I hope it's a close one if they end up do playing in the playoffs because it has been – it's been weird games. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. expect either of the games to be how they turned out, basically. And you ended up messaging me last night about Keem Hicks. You, we kind of mm-hmm. talked about how we, we threw out uh, – who is DeForest Buckner, like that second guy. We put Aaron Donald on a on another level, which mm-hmm. he is. And I think DeForest Buckner and Akeem Hicks, we we did see yesterday how, how much they matter to their defense because on both of those those games, the opposing mm-hmm. teams, the Titans yeah. and the Packers, were able to run free. And, I mean, huge gaping holes. So Yeah, I agree. And that was even before that started happening. I just, they mentioned Akeem Hicks' name. And I remember that you were talking about what defensive tackles are the best in the NFL. And I I thought, oh yeah, Akeem Hicks is one of the best. They're very different from DeForest Buckner. 
but both the, the, the result is the same though. Akeem Hicks is much bigger and much more just a physical, just like bulldozer. Whereas DeForest Buckner is a mixture of speed and strength. And, and I mean, he's a big, strong guy as well. He's a defensive tackle, but Akeem Hicks is just like next level. He's pretty much a bear himself. Like <laughs> him and Khalil Mack. I, I, I like to think of them as like literal bears almost. Um, but uh, yeah. And we, we see just how important a good, three technique defensive tackle is to a team and the we saw it with the Packers game and we saw it with the Titans game and I on top of the injuries I don't think the Titans came to play the first game on Thursday night and I don't think the Colts really came to play they just looked like they were getting pushed around in general on Sunday I think that if it was come playoff time both teams would be ready and both teams would know what was at stake and uh I I would think that'd be a pretty good game and just speaking on Akeem Hicks, we can kind of jump to that Sunday night football game. I don't think there's tons of takeaways besides maybe this is like a nail in the coffin for the Bears. I mean, mm-hmm. what what has happened to this to this Bears team? Because in the beginning of the year, I would say I wouldn't want to play them. I mean, I didn't like the Bears play, how they played. I mean, it was uh, ugly, but now it's just ugly and they're losing. I mean, this this completely flipped and – I think the Vikings have a pretty good shot ending up second in the NFC North now. Yeah, I agree. I, this, this this Bears offense is just brutal. Nick Foles being out before with with Nick Foles, they don't screw up, but they never accomplish anything either. With Mitch Trubisky, there's some spark to it. I thought that he played sharp at the beginning, but then he threw that interception and then it spiraled from there. It just went downhill from there. Um I think with Trubisky, the floor is lower and the ceiling is higher. And with Nick Foles, they both like kind of converge and meet in the middle. But that middle ground is not acceptable. They, they haven't been winning games. They've been losing. And uh, I don't know. that This offense needs some work, and they need a quarterback. They need a quarterback so desperately. And they need to figure out their run game. Because, yeah, David Montgomery ran for 100 yards yesterday. But outside of yesterday, they haven't been able to figure out the run game at all. I don't know if that's Montgomery's fault, if it's a lack of Tariq Cohen that, that's to blame, but they need to figure out schemes and you figure out blocking. They need to figure it out because it's just – they don't have any sort of balance. They don't really have anything really good outside of Mooney and Robinson at all on that offense. And I think it affects the defensive play because they have nothing oh, to, absolutely. to play for. They just seem dead out there. They, like, make some good plays, and they just are like, oh, well, it doesn't matter if we stop them because our offense mm-hmm. isn't going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And – that Bears defense, even if they're playing all right, they just have nothing to play for right now. So that just affects yeah. their emotion out on the field. But I didn't, I didn't have a huge takeaways. The the Packers were dominant, and I, I obviously like to see that, but I don't think it's uh, going to mean a ton per se. Good bounce back win. Yes. Chiefs Buccaneers, though. And big storyline, Tyreek Hill. And <sighs> – before he, he blew up, I actually was kind of watching him play as you do in that offense. I was like, I actually kind of want to talk about Tyreek Hill, and I think I, I want to speak on him as a uh, top wide receiver in the NFL because we've talked about top wide receivers, and then they went on to have a amazing game, a phenomenal game, a phenomenal first quarter. First, I mean, it was it was crazy. And is Tyreek Hill a top five wide receiver? in the NFL. I, he's, he's so different is what yeah. it's like. He's not really a 50, 50 guy. He's not someone I'm throwing it up to, 
But if there's like open space and I think you can throw it there and just expect Tyree Kill to get to the ball first. It's he's so different and so weird, but I don't think he's all the time in that top three, top five conversation. I thought I think you throw him in the top ten, but he's so unusual that I don't think people give him the respect that maybe he deserves. I mean, I think the the, the thing with Tyree Kill that puts him a tier below the top guys is the targets he gets game game in and game out. Yesterday he got tons of targets, but I think there are some games that his role is to just kind of act as the decoy over top. And although that's great, uh, there are some receivers that they're in the game plan every single week and they get targets and they get catches every single week. Devontae Adams, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas, um, Julio Jones, guys like that, they are week in and week out in that discussion every week of, Offensive player of the week because they're always getting over 100 yards. Tyree Kill, I guess it depends on your perspective because you're right. He is very different. And if I were a head coach going into a week, I would not want a game plan for Tyree Kill because that's just a nightmare. But I feel like it's the same thing with those other receivers as well. And I don't know. He doesn't, do, he doesn't need to do the 50-50 balls. Sometimes he's done it, but he doesn't need to because because his 50-50 ball is, like you said, throwing it out into space, and I'll beat you there. He doesn't need to – you don't toss the ball up, Terry Kill. You throw it out and say, go get it, and he'll go and get it. So I, I think he's top five. I think you got to put him as a top five receiver. The only reason I don't put him in, like, top three is just because of the lack of targets. Bulk. Uh, D-Hop, Devontae Adams, and um, – either Michael Thomas or Julio Jones. Um, they get so many targets. I, I think I'm going to put Michael Thomas there because Julio Jones is – I feel like he, he's losing targets due to Calvin Ridley, which, I mean, great for the Falcons, but he's losing targets. Um, I think those guys, they just – they get thrown to all game and it works even though the other team knows it's going to happen. So that, that, I think that's my take on that. Yeah, I don't think I would place him above those wide receivers. He he's he's different and he affects the game in a different way than any of the other players can. But he he's just not that normal guy that I think you're going down into the red zone. I think his his mm-hmm. game is 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 prevented down in the red zone. But another thing is at the beginning of the year we asked questions for every team and our question your i believe you stated as uh who or what can stop the chiefs and i think yeah. i asked uh can they run it back basically and i think the answer is yes i think we've known that for a while that the answer is yes but i i think yesterday showing even though it was a three point game it really wasn't a three point game but i think this team can run it back and it's it's honestly just up to them if they're willing mm-hmm. to do it or not if they're willing to show up every week in the playoffs and and willing to perform they kind of have that Golden State Warriors kind of vibe where they know they can do it. You know, they're mm-hmm. kind of relaxed and chill and just kind of go out there and sometimes look like they're going through the motions. But I think when they really want to come to play, they come to play and they can beat any other team. I think when they're at their top, they can beat any other team at their top. And yeah. it, it, sh- it showed yesterday, and I know they had some struggles towards the end. They weren't, I believe, over for 3 in the red zone. I, I think they had to settle for some field goals. but. I mean, I just think they're they're going to get it done. And it is – if they stop themselves, that will be the reason they lose. I don't think it's up mm-hmm. to the opposing team at this point. 
and I wish we had a team that could stop them, but I think that team's in the AFC. I think it would be the Steelers. I don't think there's an NFC team I'm confident to say that can beat them, which hurts, but I think that's true, and honestly. Yeah. Um, They'll play the Saints in a couple of weeks. Uh, that'll be a fun one to watch, but the, the Chiefs have been winning with B performances, and I think that's what's so scary. And on the Bucks side, they've uh, only have four games to figure out their offensive side. And it's against Vikings, Lions, and the Falcons twice. And I think they can figure it out against – or, like, look mm-hmm. like they figured it out. But they really need to, to – I mean, we're they're 12 games in. They've only got four left in the regular season. I assume they can make the playoffs with their remaining schedule. But I'm not sure how far they can make it into the playoffs where I thought they would – Possibly this is a preview game for the Super Bowl Bucks Chiefs, but I'm just not sure that offense has it has what it takes, honestly. And I think there's just some miscommunication still, which they can figure out with the remaining weeks. But it it just seems like they're not there. And I thought they would be closer than they are. And I get that yeah. we have to be patient and know that it's going to take time. But it's December. It is. We're ready to. Time's up. Yeah. It's it's playoff pitcher, like you said. You're excited about it. I'm excited about it. And if they don't make this step, I'm not sure they get past wildcard weekend because that's going to be a difficult weekend. On the NFC East side, Mark, can we eliminate the Cowboys? Are we allowed to say I we've we've kept all these teams in there because they all technically have a shot, but are we are we willing to eliminate the Cowboys? Are you willing to eliminate any of the teams from playoff contention or no? Um, I don't think I can eliminate the Cowboys yet because of their schedule they got the ravens which they'll probably lose and then they got the Bengals, niners eagles giants so i still think they're they're still in that that race they looked really bad though and i would probably put them as um them and the eagles probably have the worst odds because the eagles have a tough schedule so those would be the two i'd bet least on and i know it makes it seem kind of silly because the two front runners the the football team and the giants are the two that um are in first and the two I think have the better odds. But at this point, every win is so huge that your odds skyrocket every time you win a game. So I, I can't count any team out yet, but I don't expect the Cowboys or the Eagles for that matter to win this division. Is this the first time that a three win team heading into week 13 is still in playoff contention? You think you think probably, I feel like there's no way there's there's another time that this has happened. But before we go, I had a question and uh, some potential opportunities. Obviously, over the weekend, the Lions let go of uh, the coach, Matt Patricia, and their GM. And mm-hmm. whether they decide to rebuild, reload, or just completely blow it up, who knows what they'll move forward on. But if they're willing to give up Stafford, add some potential landing spots. And I think some of them are pretty fun, to be honest with you, Mark. I think you'd probably take a first rounder, at least Mm -hmm. maybe some other things. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Add the 49ers as an option. I think that's weird, but I would love to see him with Kyle Shanahan. That'd be wonky. That'd be wonky. I I don't know if he fits their style, but I I mean, he'd be an upgrade from Garoppolo, I think. The Saints are kind of like a possibility, but I don't think they have the cap. So I think that would be the main issue. And I think maybe they believe in Taysom Hill that he's going to be able to do it. And then the two that I kind of like the most is Patriots, which 
depends on what they decide with Cam Newton and what they want to do because they might be able to re-sign him for cheap again with his season this year. And then the Colts, your team, Mark. Yeah. I think um, yeah. there's a good opportunity for either of those teams if the Lions are willing to trade him. I mean, I'd love for him to come to Indianapolis because you have a good defense there. And the Colts need the talent now because I'm worried that very soon the Colts are going to start nosediving again. So I think if Phillip Rivers decides to hang up the cleats after this season, which I, I, I'm getting a sneaking suspicion that that might be the case because I think he wants to get to coaching. I think he wants to get into that high school coaching gig. That Matt Stafford would be a great fit into that because the Colts like to run an aggressive offense, but he also has that run game there that hopefully Marlon Mack will be back for the next seat next year um, with Jonathan Taylor, Jordan Wilkins, all that, all those guys. Um, I'd love to see him in Indy. I think New England would be fine. I also think that should Drew Locke not be the answer, the Broncos would also be really cool. And I honestly hope he gets traded for, for Matthew Stafford's sake. And I, and I think I would love the Colts. I think mm-hmm. that would be my favorite pick. And I think he would elevate that team. I think he would be a better QB option than Phillip Rivers. I agree. I agree. So it, it would make them a, a contender once again. And like you're saying, I mean, to me, they're in, they're in that window. And it's really up to if they can find a QB and what Phillip Rivers decides because they basically decide that Brissett's not the option. So they're going to have to mm-hmm. find another QB this offseason if Rivers moves on. So – It'll be interesting to see what the Lions decide to do. But that's going to wrap it up for our Week 12 reaction of the NFL. We went through those coaching fighting tiers. That was really fun. And uh, (laughs) maybe we'll see some more altercations down the line. Hopefully some drawing back and forth by coaches come playoff time. But that's going to do it today. Thank you for listening on the air on 10 to 11 AM on United to the Moose 91.7 FM or any podcast platform. You can catch us next week.